the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's edition of The Plumb Line, brought to you by Reasons for Hope, training and equipping a new generation to stand boldly on the Word of God. You can find information about them at r4h.com. That's the letter R, then F-O-R-H.com. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph. On the broadcast today, I'll be joined by Miki Addison once again as we continue discussing how to raise and train your children to maintain a biblical worldview. Reach out to me to share your thoughts anytime at this email, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Support for The Plum Line is provided by these fine business sponsors, EPS Wealth Management of Phoenix, who serves clients in several states. Call them for a no-cost, no-obligation conversation about your financial concerns, 623-537-3657. And Simple Turn, their online health resources teach your kids how health really works and how to avoid 90% of chronic disease. Get your family's free health course at mysimpleturn.com. Welcome to this edition of The Plum Line. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph, and I am excited to be joined by Miki Addison once again. Miki and her husband, Will, have the Culture Proof podcast that you can find everywhere you go for podcasts, and so I encourage you to look them up, just as I encourage you to look up The Plum Line after the show airs on the radio. It goes up in podcast form everywhere that you go for podcasts as well. Just uh, go to Spotify, for example, put in The Plum Line with Jay Rudolph, and you'll be able to find it there. And Miki, I've had uh, you on a couple of times now as a guest and certainly uh, one of my favorites because I can tell that the Holy Spirit is guiding you and speaking through you, and I I love the insights that he brings your way. So I want to start off the broadcast by saying that to bring glory to God because you and I both know in what we do here that none of this happens and the things that come out of our mouth can't be anything good if it's not from the Spirit of God. Oh, amen. All glory to God. He is worthy, Jay. Like Jesus is worthy that we would be totally submitted to his lordship, that we would operate for his glory, that we would draw our convictions from his word, that we would speak in tandem with what his word says, that we would just echo what Jesus is saying. And so glory to God. I appreciate that. That's very encouraging. Mm, Yeah. Amen. Well, and let's talk a a bit about our our topic or subject here is raising, training our children to maintain that biblical worldview. And we got into this a bit in the first of this two-part series, but I think we need to explain a little bit more about what we even mean by holding a biblical worldview. I always describe it as kind of the lens that we look at the world with. And so it's like we have these glasses. The glasses are the Bible or the Word of God. And we look through that uh, at all the things going on in the world, and we filter everything going on through what God's Word has to say about it. So that's one way of looking at it, but I don't know if you have some insights to share kind of how you would explain a biblical worldview. Yeah, I mean, I think in a nutshell, it's exactly what you're saying, that every way that we engage, every way that we operate, the question is, God, what have you said on this? And not as an option, right? But not as a suggestion among many ways to view the world as the only way 
to view the world that the one true God designed. And so because of this fact, he has every right and every prerogative to determine how it is to be viewed, how his creation is to engage, right? How we are to live, what we are to say, how we are to think. God determines that. And so it's not just that we want to see this as a philosophical option that we can bring scripture into the world that we want to, you know, well, you have your view and this is my view, but we are saying, and it it almost sounds arrogant, doesn't it, Jay? It sounds a little bit like self-assured, but really it's not a self-assurance. It is an assurance that the Lord God reigns, that he is, that he exists, right? And so because of this fact, we want to say, hey, he decides how we do the world. He decides how we live in the world. Why? Because it's his. Because he made it, he designed it, he put the people in it, he gave them life. And so he has the right to call the shots. To say this in terms that our younger kids would understand, he's the boss. He is absolutely the boss. And so in every way that we engage, he has the right to say what ought to be and what ought not to be. So yes, it is a way that we view the world, but as Christians, I would say that we say it is the only way to view the world because the author of the scriptures is God. It's not just a manual that we have brought into our life. It is what God has said about how we ought to live. You know, and if I could say this, we had an interview recently, Jay, with a brother. His name is Dr. Renton Raspin, and he directs the Center for Biblical Worldview at Bob Jones University. And he presented to us a definition for biblical worldview that the Lord just gave this to him. And my goodness, it changed the way I even thought about worldview, biblical worldview. And I want to share it with you. This is what he said. A biblical worldview is God's explanation of God's world that we understand through God's word, which is for God's image bearers. Oh my goodness. That just left me speechless because I thought, It all begins with God. It has nothing to do with what I think about the Bible or what I think about how I should view the world. It has everything to do with who God is, what he has said about who he is, and what he requires of those he's made in his image. And I think when we start there, oh my goodness, it just, I don't know, there's something that's very powerful about that. Mm, Yeah, and that may be the most important thing we can get across to our kids in the world that they live in today, I'm thinking, because I hear so often that one of the reasons that you know, young people especially, well, older people as well, are afraid or unwilling to share with others is because of the fear of man and what someone will think of me, or they'll get mad or criticize me. And really, you know, if they're going to do that, the ultimate thing is they're getting mad at God, because our kids need to make it clear, this is what God says. Can't put this on me. This is what God takes the hit here for this, because he's the one who said it. So... (laughs) That's exactly right. And, you know, we can begin to practice this at home. Like when we engage our kids in thoughtful conversations where they are able to respectfully disagree or they are able to ask questions, they're able to push back. And then you tell them, well, whatever your position is, I'd like to see you support that in Scripture. This cannot be a war of opinion. Like, where is your scriptural support for what you believe? Where is your scriptural support for your conviction? So then, You start to train them that if they're going to stand up and take a position in culture, they want to do that based on the firm foundation of God's word. It's not just a war of emotion 
or a war of feelings. Because then, I mean, who breaks the tie? I feel this way. You feel this way. I mean, who gets to determine what is the actual way to feel? Well, the tiebreaker, if you will, is the authority of God's word. So where do we go to derive our conviction? Well, we want to go to the book that is authored by the one who made it all. And I think when you start to teach your kids to do that, you build their confidence as they engage culture. Well, as I said in the first broadcast, I want to get into some really practical aspects here. So maybe we can start on that already in this opening segment. Just how you and your husband will go about this. As you said, you've got three teens, I think you said, and then you've got three younger kids as well, six total. And so you've got a variety of ages. And one thing I'm curious about, because my wife and I, we have seven and just three left at home. And when we did our homeschooling, you know, we tried to kind of combine uh, grades and things like that, just so you've got a little bit easier structure, I guess, to educate them. And there are probably ways that we can do that when we're talking about training in a biblical worldview, too, where we can communicate the same message, but do it, you know, appropriately for the age and, and level and things like that. Yeah, you know, just in full transparency, that's been something that's been a major struggle for us because what we have found is that we're really tempted to teach to our teens. We're really tempted to focus on them because you hit this stride where it's like you're not defining terms so much because they know, like you're just talking to them and they understand. And it can be very easy to just hang out in that space because frankly, it's easier, right? When you've got your little kids, you've got to define terms. You may make a statement and then you've got one who says, well, what? does supremacy mean? You know what I mean? And you're like, okay, right. Let's Mm -hmm. define that. And so you've got to slow down. So one of the things that we've done and looking at these two age groups is that we want to teach our teens and we want to talk to our teens and engage them as young adults. And with our kids, we want to recognize that they are still younger and that they're still processing. So catechism works well for that, like a question and an answer. And then, you know, you start to remember, oh my goodness, that's right. With our older teens, We did walk through catechism, like a question and an answer, and then scriptural support for that, so that they started to build their knowledge of God and to understand terms. And so we had to take ourselves back and say, wait a minute, yes, we want to talk about biblical worldview, and yes, we want to talk about cultural engagement, but you know what, to the three-year-old, to the seven-year-old, and the nine-year-old, we still need to make sure that they can find where scriptures are, that they know where the books of the Bible are, that they know how to give a defense for the fact that God is. And so one of the things that we're doing as a family, we're walking through a catechism this year. It's a 52-week catechism, so one question each week. And for our older teens, in the discussion, we go deeper with them. Now, we're all together. All eight of us are in a room together. But with our older teens, there are things that jump out to them in Scripture that they want to raise questions about that, and we want to engage them. Because here's the thing, Jay. Our younger kids sitting and listening will draw from those conversations as well. But the thing that we want to begin with is, here's the basic question. Here is the scriptural support. Let's read through the scriptures. And then here's the answer to that question, the reason that we've given the answer found in scripture. And so our little kids are able to be equipped and draw from that. And our big kids, as we're reading through the scriptures, go, whoa, this blows my mind. In fact, I think I mentioned Romans chapter 2 verses 14 through 16, well, that comes from our catechism. And so the Lord just, as we're going through those scriptures, so for our little kids, they are hearing that man knows there is a God in his mind and in his heart, and that those two places alternately convict them of sin, 
right? They tell the truth about who God is. Well, for our older kids, they go, whoa, wait a minute. So this means Romans 1 is like really true. Like when the Bible says that man is without excuse because the heavens declare, Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Like they can draw from that, that man can see in the world that God is real. But then they go, wait a minute. And he also knows in his heart and in his mind that God is. So you can have conversations at different levels with them, maybe a little deeper philosophical conversation. But then for the younger kids, just super practical. We're going to memorize this verse. Here's the question. Here's the answer. And here are the supporting verses. Yeah, exactly. We'll have something that I want to follow up as I always do on that comment, but I'm going to go ahead and take the break here and we'll come back and carry on from where we left off. My guest is Miki Addison of a Culture Proof Podcast that you can find anywhere you go for podcasts that she and her husband will do. And my name is Jay Rudolph. This is The Plum Line, and you can find The Plum Line in podcast form after it airs on the radio in your area. You can look it up at places where you go for a podcast as well. Just look for The Plum Line with Jay Rudolph. I'd love to have you reach out and share your thoughts or comments at this email, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Plum is P-L-U-M-B, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Stay tuned. Open Door Financial was founded with the inspiration of using biblical wisdom to create financial plans and investment strategies that lead to financial peace and build the kingdom of God. We guide families and small business owners on how to save money, reduce taxes, get out of debt, build enough retirement income, and be more generous. We help you discover God's plan for your finances and fulfill your God-given dreams and purpose. Call Jason Batt at Open Door Financial at 619-794-7133. That's 619-794-7133 or visit opendoor-financial.com. Securities and advisory services offered through Centaurus Financial, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC, a registered broker-dealer and registered investment advisor. Open Door Financial and Centaurus Financial are not affiliated entities. Life can be tough, and sometimes we all need a helping hand. That's where Integrity Counseling Group comes in. At Integrity, we're not just counselors. We're your companions on the journey of healing. We believe in restoring connections with yourself, with your loved ones, and with your faith. With three welcoming locations in Mission Valley, Carlsbad, and San Marcos, plus convenient telehealth services across California, we're right by your side, San Diego. Visit us at integritycounselinggroup.com or call us anytime at 760-283-7000. 760-283-7000. Thanks for joining me for The Plum Line. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph. My guest, Miki Addison. We're talking about raising and training children to maintain a biblical worldview on The Plum Line today. And just before the break, Miki, I was kind of trying to put myself in the mind of the listener and see, I don't know how accurate I am and what they may be thinking, but I've noticed in our couple of broadcasts on this subject that we've been talking and focused about the parents doing all of this training and things, and we haven't brought up any other. And and for your family and my family, we homeschool, so you know there isn't that involvement of the public school environment, and I don't know that we'll have time to talk about that much at all, but the one thing I was thinking about is there hasn't been a mention of, and I can imagine the listener thinking, well, what about church? What role does church play in all of this? In fact, I could see some people thinking, well, I just send my kids to Sunday school or Wednesday night youth group or whatever. Isn't that good enough? And so I wanted to have you address that. Oh, goodness. 
So I believe that the collection of the saints, like the gathering of the body of Christ, as we call the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, serves a specific purpose. And we find this in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, that the church is for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, right? And so when we gather, it really is supposed to be readying us to go out and live what becomes the majority of our life, right? Like outside of what we might consider the church walls, depending on where you meet. There are house churches as well, but you still have walls, right? So when we gather, that's a fraction of the time of our life. So what does that mean? That means that we are to be made ready to live. And we can't live as if the totality of our Christian existence happens within the four walls of the church. So that means that the first time our children hear the gospel should not be in a youth group. It should not be in Sunday school. It should be that from the earliest opportunity, we are sharing the gospel with our children. We are telling them who the Lord is. And why do I say that? Because this is the expectation of Scripture. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord is saying to his people through Moses that they are to live so as to reflect in the cultures where they're going to traverse that they have retained the knowledge of God. And so they're going to be doing certain things. They're going to remember the commands and the statutes of God. And then what is the expectation? Well, when you read Scripture, Deuteronomy 6, the expectation is that there will be the demand for an explanation. So if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses says to God's people, you're going to do these things, you're going to remember the Lord, you're not going to forget Him. And in the time to come, when your son says, hey, what's the meaning of all of this? Why are we doing these things? You're going to say, because once we were slaves in Egypt, and God brought us out. And so when you think about what that means to the New Testament church, well, it kind of presupposes that we are going to be living so radically different in our culture that our kids are going to say, hey, why are you doing that? Hey, why don't you go there? Why don't you talk like that? Why are you refusing to buy that? Why don't you drink that? Why don't you eat that? You know, whatever it is. And then what it's supposed to do is open the door for us to give them the gospel. We are supposed to say, well, you know what? The reason we do these things and the reason we don't do these things is because once we were slaves to sin, we know what it is now to be set free from the bondage of sin, from the grip of death and destruction. And I want to say this as a person who grew up in a Christian home. There are many things that I never did. Jay, I would just say that, and I'm very thankful for that. But can I tell you, I was a slave to sin. Rebellion against God is slavery to sin. Mm -hmm. And so what we want to be able to tell our kids is that there is a God of heaven who sent his son and brought me out of this slavery, right? And now I am in relationship with him. And so my very life is a testimony of that. The problem that we're having, Jay, and if I could just say this, you know, carefully and we're not living counterculturally. As individuals, we are not living with a distinction that provokes the question in our children. You think of the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where Peter preaches the church's first sermon. And they're like, what's going on? These men are drunk. And Peter's like, no, 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 they're not drunk like you think. He goes, this is what God has promised. And then Peter says, this promise is for you. And then the very next group is your children. And for those afar off whom the Lord your God will call. And so we are skipping over our children. You know, we're thinking, I want to go be a missionary. I want to go do this. I've got to do this out in the culture. But the Lord presupposes, in fact, let me say it this way. The Lord expects that the first stop for the gospel will be inside our homes. And why? Well, because we will have lived so distinctly 
that we will provoke a question in our kids and it will lead to the right explanation that God is worthy and here is how you can know him. So no, that is not the responsibility of the church as we would call it the building, but it is the responsibility of the church as we would call it ourselves. We are the church. So yes, we must get the gospel to our children. It starts with us and the church becomes a supplement to what we're doing. Yeah, and hopefully a, a good supplement, too, because we know that uh, there have been those situations where, and this is kind of where I will draw in that public school aspect, uh, too, because I know there are a lot of our listeners uh, probably who do have children in the public school environment, and hopefully your church is helping you or aiding you in this effort to ground your children in a biblical worldview, whereas the public school environment uh, pretty much uh, guarantee that they're not helping you and grounding your kids in the biblical worldview. So I, I want to bring that up a little bit just to say that you know for you and you and Will and my wife and myself here we have more quote unquote time with the children because we're homeschooling and we're around them more but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we're going to be any better or any more effective at doing this you know training in the biblical worldview thing if we're not very intentional and so the the point being is even if you're sending your kids off to public school you still must and even probably more so because it's maybe yeah. more difficult you still must instill that biblical worldview and and correct things probably is kind of how I see it. There's a fair amount of correction that needs to take place. Yeah, there's a difference in, and I'm, I'm old enough to remember chalkboards, you know what I mean? Like before everything was digital or yep. like even the sleek, like dry erase boards, we had chalkboards and what a privilege it was to clap erasers for your teacher and like, you know what I mean? And so <laughs> there's a big difference in writing on a clean chalkboard versus erasing what's been put there and then writing over that. You know, I I don't know if you can remember, Jay, how you could still sometimes see what was written there before and you didn't get a clean chalkboard until you like took this wet towel or wet rag and just went over it and then it was beautiful to behold. But before that, what you're doing is you're looking at something that's been written, then you want to erase it with the eraser and then you want to rewrite. As parents, especially when we are sending them away to be educated in an environment that begins with the rejection of God. And I want to make that very clear. We have to understand that government education begins with the conviction that God is irrelevant here. There's no place for him here. And your kid's education must not and shall not begin with the retention of any knowledge that he is. When we send our kids into that type of environment, when they come home, what we have to recognize is that when we attempt to give them truth, we are writing on top of one of those dirty chalkboards. And there's already information, data, if you will, that has been written on that board. And so it makes it really difficult for us to inculcate a Christian worldview or to communicate to our kids a set of Christian values and ethics, because what they begin with is that, well, God is irrelevant. And then as a parent, I'm going to teach my kids biblical morality. Well, what does that begin with? It begins with God. But then for eight hours a day, I'm telling my kid, hey, to spend your knowledge of God, just go and get an education. Well, what we want to say is that there is no education apart from God. There is no knowledge that you can retain or should retain apart from the knowledge of the moral lawgiver. And so what I would say is, yes, parents have to work double time if you're sending your kid away to be educated in a context. And I want to make this very specific. If your kid is being educated in a context where the knowledge of God is suspended first and foremost, then you really are working against your efforts. Now, having said that, just because we homeschool 
does not automatically mean that we are being intentional with that time. Just being in a space doesn't make you a disciple maker no more than being at a Chick-fil-A makes you a nugget. Like, I mean, you've got you just because you're there doesn't mean that you're doing it. You've got to put in the work. Having said that, though, if you've got people working against your efforts, oh, man, there's just a lot more work that you've got to put in. Yeah, amen. Well, I am so appreciative for the thoughts that you've shared here. And I just have a moment left here, so I kind of wanted to give you that final opportunity to sum up here over the course of a two-part series what we really want to drive home, I guess, as we think about this topic. Sure. My conviction and my strong passion, Jay, is that parents would understand and that we as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, first and foremost, is that we would be culture-proof. And what we mean by that is found in James chapter 1, verse 27b, where James admonishes believers to keep ourselves unstained by this world. I mean, we live in this world, and we can see all that's happening all around us, but the admonition is that we would be unstained, that we would live in the culture, but that we would not have the culture live in us and maintain our distinction. And there is no other way to do that except that we are filled with the knowledge of God derived from the authority of his word that he's entrusted to us, faithful word that he preserved, that we got it intact. And so my encouragement and my challenge to followers, whether you're rearing kids now or not, whether you're newly married or you're single, is that you live in this culture, but you don't have the culture live in you. Keep yourself unstained by this world and in so doing, live for the glory of God. Mm, Thank you, Miki, for being on and God bless you. God bless you, Jay. Nikki Addison, my guest. Again, the podcast is called Culture Proof. You can look that up everywhere you go for podcasts, and I certainly encourage you to do that. And I encourage you to reach out to me and share your thoughts and comments about the broadcast as well. I'd love to hear from you. Radio at gmail.com is that email, Radio at gmail.com. Touch base anytime, and I will respond to you. And check out The Plum Line as well on places where you go for podcasts. After it airs in the radio, it'll go up in podcast form. Go to Spotify, for example, just put in The Plum Line with Jay Rudolph, and you'll be able to listen back to this broadcast or, well, about 300 or so others that are out there. Thanks for joining me, and we'll see you next time on The Plum Line. The Plum Line has been sponsored by Reasons for Hope. Check them out at r4h.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.